This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. You're listening to Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 111. Welcome back. This is Catherine Klein on Dollars and Change. And I'm Nick Ashburn wiggling in my chair. You are Nick Ashburn wiggling in your chair. I've seen you I've seen you dance a little bit. I don't know what that was, Nick. <laughs> that was a wiggle. That was not What's a dance. The ding ding da, ding da, ding ding. <laughs> oh, see, I thought we were going to get Nick singing on air. It's good. It's good. This is good as we move into a very serious segment because I, I uh, Ellen's not going to take me seriously now. She's going to take you seriously. <laughs> we all take you seriously, Nick. You'll get that sonorous I'm Nick Ashburn, <laughs> Nick Ashburn voice. <laughs> Welcome to Dollars and Change. <laughs> All right. Oh, my goodness. Um, so we're moving into this segment, and, and we're, gonna, we're talking uh, in this segment with Ellen Lagerman, former dean of the Harvard Graduate School of Education, currently the Levi Institute Research Professor at Bard College, where she's working with the, the Bard Prison Initiative. Uh, which we've we've we've, we've had on the show we've, we've talked had the, about before we've have talked on about before so Bard College people may know Bard College as this you know they may think oh I I think I know Bard this kind of elite uh, liberal arts private school um, and we might be surprised if they haven't heard of the Bard Prison Initiative of the extent to which Bard has worked in prisons providing a college education for prisoners and it's you know it's not a college education it's a bar degree it's you know you're graduating and you are you know if you are in prison and if you are in this program and uh, you know if you're able to complete the courses um, you know before or after uh, um, release from prison you know you're getting a, a real bar deg- a bar college degree so it's a really interesting program uh, and, and it sounds like Ellen wrote the book too and Ellen wrote the book liberating minds the case for college in prison so, Ellen, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Great to have you on. So, how did you get involved in studying uh, incarceration, in thinking about the prison system, and specifically about thinking about the, the role of education in the prison system? A lot of people have asked me that question because it's a somewhat odd step for the former dean of the Harvard Graduate School of Education to spend all of her time in maximum security prisons. But the short answer is it was people that got me involved in this. First of all, Max Kenner, who is the executive director of the Bard Prison. Right, and and we had him on the show a few months ago. Well, Max can talk anybody into anything. (laughs) And he, he turned to me one day and he said, how can you teach about public policy if you haven't spent time in a prison? And before I knew it, the next hot July day, I was teaching in a prison. And then what really convinced me to stay with BPI were the students in the class. The students we have in the prison program are among the most extraordinary students I've taught anywhere, at Columbia, NYU, Harvard, Stanford, wherever. They are curious, they are bright, they are hardworking, they are perceptive, and they are not afraid to ask questions. They care about grades, but it's not all they care about. It's just an inspiring experience to work with students like that. So, Ellen, you're you know a Harvard professor, former dean, uh, going into prison teaching college. It's really you know it's a really a mind-boggling picture for for many folks. What what were you teaching? Give us this you know give us a little peek into you know you step into my classroom at the maximum security prison. What would I see? Well, I confess the very first time I went in, 
I was more than a little awed. I'd never been in a maximum security prison. Yeah. And I got to the door of my classroom, which had glass on the front window, and I looked in, and there were 16 large men sitting in a semicircle, and I felt like running the other way. Mm. But one of them opened the door and said, Professor Lagerman, we've been waiting for you. And at that point, what do you do? You go in and you put your stuff down and you start teaching. And within 15 minutes, I really had forgotten where I was. It makes no difference. In terms of what I teach, I'm a historian who teaches about public policy and the history of education. A history of education defined very broadly, so it's really American cultural history. And I've taught the same courses inside the prison that I teach on the Bard main campus. And they are, by and large, the same courses I taught at Columbia and at Harvard. So I haven't diluted it in any way, and I haven't lessened the requirements, I haven't lessened the reading, I haven't lessened the difficulty of the assignments. Yeah, fascinating. And, you know, I think uh, it's been important to hear those kinds of examples, because when I've heard about, you know, and, and the Bard Prison Initiative, you know, it was helpful to wrap my head around, like, oh, right, that philosophy class that I might have taken in, in right. college, uh, right. you know, reading, I don't know, you know Kant and, and, uh, and, and whomever. Uh, it's terrible. I'm forgetting the philosophers I've read. I, I do remember <laughs> don't, that. Don't tell Cheryl. I, tell, a, I do remember that paper on, I, I do, you know. With you, not the details. Yeah, I do remember that paper on Kant that I, I mean, it's yeah. interesting, right? I remember that. Uh, this is not, uh, we'll see yeah. where this analogy goes, but I do remember kind of holding up and studying Comp, Kant and, you know, reading for hours. And I suppose one of the things is that, that folks in prison do have hours to read. And they're, you know, it, it is such a, a, a difficult existence in prison. Um, so well, there, they, I, I'd respond to what you said in a couple of ways. Yeah, First please. of all, it seems to me that what people take away from college, whether it's you, me, or one of my students behind bars, is less the specifics of what Kant said or sure. any, of, any of that kind of trivia, but the big picture that you, you can dive into a philosophy text and actually read it and understand it and think about it. Um, I have a chapter in my book called Learning to Learn, mm -hmm. and I deeply believe that the capacity to learn is the most important outcome of a good college education. And for our people in prison, who have not been well served by the educational system prior to their incarceration. It's a real light bulb lighting up to realize that they are just as able to learn as anybody else. Mm. It stays with them when they go home and I think is a very significant factor in their success once they are home. So I think that's important. The second thing you raised is the matter of time. Everybody seems to think that people in prison have nothing to do. In fact, they don't have much to do that's positive, but they tend to have a fair amount to do. They have jobs. They, you know, there are certain times when they're allowed to phone home, so they have to be in the yard to stand in line to get a telephone, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's not as busy as somebody who is holding down a full-time job, has a family, and is going to college, but they certainly do have obligations. And the fact of the matter is, our people clear their calendars, so to speak, in order to put in the hours and hours they have to, to study. Sometimes they tell their family members not to come and visit because they're too busy with assignments. Mm 
Wow. It takes real devotion to go from the level they are at academically when they enter to the level of performance we expect them to, to put forth. Yeah. So, so Ellen, this is Nick, and I w- I'm curious to know, I personally believe that this is a fantastic program. This is worthwhile in and of itself. And also, I believe there is a, a strong or growing evidence base that this these types of interventions, education in the prison system, also does have an effect on reducing recidivism. Can you talk a little more about the, the case for this as well? Yeah, the, the first point to make, because it's something people understand so quickly, is helping people go to college and prison drastically reduces recidivism. Recidivism is a slippery number because it covers returns to prison because of parole violations or returns to prison because of a new crime. It covers a whole bunch of different things. But generally, across the nation, and the numbers vary from state to state, but nationally, the recidivism rate approaches 50%. For people who have been to college and prison, the number, the recidivism number is closer to 2%. It varies from program to program, but it's, it's almost nothing. So if you want to help people stay out of prison, send them to college. One of the reasons why they don't return to prison is because people who have been to college have a much better chance of getting a job and holding the job. That's very important, not only in terms of reducing the cost of incarceration because they don't go back, but contributing to our economy. We need productive workers who will actually contribute to the economy rather than, in a sense, take out of the economy by costing us money to incarcerate. Right. Which is expensive. Yeah. I mean, expensive. right? That, yeah, the, the numbers I remember hearing, and I imagine they're, they're even higher today, were you know, at least $40,000 a year to... Uh, New York State, it's closer to fifty. Yeah. I mean, right, $50,000 per, per prisoner per right. year so that it costs huge. the state. It, it's just huge, and that's unproductive money that's being spent. Yeah. And then in addition to the, the direct economic benefits, there are very significant social benefits, civic benefits. The social benefits, most of the people in prison have children. And it's been fairly well established that people who have a parent in prison are more likely themselves to go to prison sure. than people who have not had a parent in prison. If you send somebody to college, you interrupt that intergenerational cycle of incarceration. That's hugely important. Yeah. The so, people who come home from prison having been to college contribute economically to their families, but they also contribute socially. They're active with their children. They're involved in their children's education, and they want their kids to go to college. So it's, it's a clear choice. Then in terms of civic participation, in some states, people who've been to prison can't vote. In New York State, people can vote once they're off parole. But voting is only the tip of the iceberg of civic activism. Sure. And people who have been to college and prison tend to have developed a very strong sense of wanting to rebuild their communities and give back. And most of them become involved in some kind of civic activity. Interesting. What, I what, think in particular of one of our students who's now on the board of the Brooklyn Bail Fund, raising money to provide bail for people who can't afford it. 
this is quite typical of what happens to college graduates. Yeah. We're talking with Ellen Lagerman, former dean of the Harvard Graduate School of Education and the author of Liberating Minds, The Case for College and Prison. If you want to join the conversation, uh, please give us a call. We're at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. Or you can email us at businessradio at SiriusXM.com. Um, so, Ellen, I can imagine some of the, the the pushback that you get as you talk about um, college in prison. Um, and I'd love to, to talk through some of those, those uh, sure. the kinds of things. So I'm imagining that one of them is, yeah, 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 you're, you know, you're creaming the crop. You have, you know, there, there are a few, a small number of extraordinarily bright, uh, capable uh, prisoners who you're able to serve, and that's nice, but, you know, let's, let's be clear. This is, this is you know, an, an odd version of the elite or the cream of the crop in prisons. Well, we're not creaming the crop in terms of academic accomplishment or quote-unquote academic ability. We perhaps are creaming the crop in terms of ambition. People are admitted to the Bard Prison Program not in terms of their prior academic records and not in terms of their academic skill at the point they are admitted. They're admitted on the basis of our best judgment of their aspirations, Mm, meaning their ambition to go to college, their likeliness to persevere against difficult odds. So we are picking people who are ambitious, and it is not unusual for people who are not admitted in the first cycle to reapply one, two, three, four, eight times, and then they finally get in. But the fact that they keep reapplying suggests how how engaged they are in wanting to go to college. Yeah, fascinating. And what kind of selection ratio do you have when, I mean, I don't know if we should be, you know, I'm sure it's different by the number of times you've applied and so on, but, you know, what percentage of folks are being admitted to the, to the, to the Bard Prison College? It's basically one to ten. It's harder to get into BPI than it is to get into Harvard, or about as hard. Interesting. Um, and, you know, the the fact that it's a selective program, I think, is very important. I mean, if we had more money, sure, we could serve more people. But I think the fact that they have been admitted to this this special group, in a sense, motivates people to work even harder than they would otherwise. Yeah. That is not to say that we don't need more support for college and prison. I think we do. But um, I think selectivity can serve many purposes. So um, I'm sure another pushback is essentially, you know, what the heck are you doing uh, providing college for prisoners? These are people who have, you know, committed serious crimes. They, uh, you know, this is a, this is a penal system we have such difficulty creating access to college for people who, you know, are upstanding citizens uh, who haven't committed a uh, crime. You know, this is a perversion um, of of morality, I suppose. Is <laughs> like I, I I imagine there there is some version of that criticism that sure. that you and others sure. with with the the Bard Prison Initiative hear. So what's the, well, what's, there I I would advance two thoughts in response to that. And mm-hmm. that is a very, you actually voiced two very common complaints. Um, the first is, should you be educating people in prison? They've done horrendous things. I mean, why give them anything good? 
And the, the fact of the matter is 97% of the people in prison will come home one day. Um, when, when people are sentenced to 12 years to life, that means they go to the parole board at 12 years, and then every couple of years after that, if they don't make the board on the first try, but they are going to get out at some point. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I like to ask people is, who would you like as your neighbor? Somebody who's educated or somebody who's not educated? Prison de-skills people. Sending people to college skills them. So that's the first thing. The second thing. The second point you raised is what I call the fairness argument. Is it fair to send somebody in prison to college when there are people outside of prison who haven't broken any laws, who've done everything right, and are struggling to pay the bills. Well, the United States has been quite short-sighted in its support of higher education. The fact is we once led the world in our participation rates in higher education, and that is no longer the case. We are not going to thrive economically um, unless we send more people to college. And that doesn't mean necessarily a four-year liberal arts college. The middle skill jobs that that come the people coming out of two years of a good 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 vocational program um, can can meet are very very important. So I would say, in response to the fairness argument, we need to make two years of college accessible to everybody, as Barack Obama tried to do, as Bernie Sanders recommended, as Hillary Clinton recommended as the Koch brothers agree with. I mean, many people agree with this. Right. And once you do that, once it's available to everybody, there's no reason at all to exclude people in prison. Got it. So I, I, uh, I want to go to a caller. We're talking with Ellen Lagerman, former dean of the Harvard Graduate School of Education. We're the author of Liberating Minds, The Case for College in Prison. And we have a, a caller on the line. Let's welcome Sean from New Jersey. Sean, uh, what's, your, what's your, uh, your question for Ellen? Uh, I actually, I agree with the premise that in general, the education will improve the person. My question is, being that you have a felony conviction, is it real? In the real world, if I'm an employer, I see someone with a felony conviction with a degree with a person someone without. Is it realistic, even with the degree, that they're they're going to get a get a good job? You said they're going to contribute back to society. So is that a realistic or is that more of an altruistic? I mean, I agree with the premise, and I think it's, it's in general a good idea, and I think if it could happen, it'd be great. But I don't know in the real world the application if it will follow, follow through. Great. Thanks, Sean. Thanks for your question. Ellen, what, what are the job prospects for folks who are getting out of prison with a college degree? That's a great question. Um, the track record of people who have gone through the Bard Prison Initiative, as well as other programs, the San Quentin program in, Los a- in California, the Hudson Link program also in New York State, and others, is quite extraordinary. They do get jobs, and they get good jobs. Now, it is true, people with felony convictions face all sorts of biases in the job market and have a much tougher time than people without felony convictions. However, if they have a little bit of help from a reentry program, they certainly can land jobs and land good jobs. We have a reentry program that works with employers to help them understand um, why it's to their, their advantage to hire our people. And they do hire our people. And then usually once they have somebody from our program, they want another one another one. 
So what is that advantage? The advantage to hiring them? Yeah. You, one of the things people say is they're willing to work harder oh, yeah. because they have to prove themselves. They know that if they don't succeed in this job, they're not likely to get another job. The motivation and the determination to do well is, is quite phenomenal. I mean, these are people who have been unable to earn a living for 8 years, 10 years, 12 years. And the motivation that builds up to be successful, to earn some money, to help support their family, is huge. And it takes them through the struggle of the first weeks, months, years. Well, and and I wanted to share a a personal anecdote with with Sean. Um, I probably shouldn't share this on the radio, but I will anyway. Um, My my dad's a felon and was not in prison, was in, uh, I think, like county jail for more than a year. And really struggled to get a job. Mm. I mean, he has that conviction on his on his record, and um, it's been incredibly tough. And I know sort of how he spent his time in that facility, and it was it was a huge waste of time. And my mm. dad is not college educated. He, I think, went for a semester or something in mm-hmm. the seventies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and I just wanted to share that, like, you know, these these are these are not the other. Yeah. Right? Right. This is not the other. All of these people that have felony convictions are absolute horrible criminals. And just wanted to share that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. One one of the things I've discovered now that I work in prisons is as you talk about it, more and more people come up with stories like you just told, Nick, where where they say, my father, my grandfather, my cousin, my best friend um, is in prison or was in prison. But your point raises another important aspect of all of this, and that is at BARD we run a college program, but we also run a very robust reentry program. And there is no question that people, even college graduates coming home from prison, need help. Um, they've been away for 12 years. They don't know how to use a swipe card in the subway or in mm, a bank yeah. machine. You know, the simplest things. And they need help getting jobs. And and so, you know, reentry, in a sense, boosts the value of the college program. Yeah. So, Ellen, we've, um, you know, I think there is beginning to be a conversation, perhaps not as, um, you know, as deep and informed as, I, as, as we might hope, but there's been beginning to be a conversation about you know, mass incarceration in the United States. We have higher incarceration rates than any country in the world, I believe. Yes. Um, you know, actually, I think the, the, the number... You know, I, I saw that the percentage rate is was uh, you know uh, um, perhaps second to or maybe even greater than Rwanda. I can't remember it's Rwanda, where, yeah, where people are you know uh, have been imprisoned uh, from the genocide um, uh, over twenty years ago. So there is a, a conversation about mass incarceration happening in this country where we're starting to realize that you know like mm, this may maybe too damn expensive, um, and and maybe motivated in part by the the expense of, of prison, uh, perhaps by an understanding of the the social costs of of uh, of imprisoning so many people. I wonder what you think it will take to. Uh, you know, to to reduce mass incarceration, but let's even focus on perhaps a more modest goal. I don't know if it's a more modest goal of increasing education in prison. You know, what what will it take to for for that to happen? For there to be more barred prison initiatives um, or variations thereof in prisons across the country? Well, I agree with you that there's beginning to be public awareness of 
the the multiple levels of cost of mass incarceration. And there's beginning to be awareness that education is an antidote. Not alone, we need sentencing reform and a whole bunch of things. But certainly college and prison is a step in the right direction. The problem we face is there have been decades, at least since the 1970s, of talk about criminals and Willie Horton and lock them up and throw away the key that's been very ill-informed. So the only thing I know how to do is write the kind of book I've written and talk about it a lot, try to get people to change their minds, to think about the evidence, which is compelling and overwhelming, that educating people in college, in fact, turns them into upstanding citizens of the kind that we need for our economy and our social life. So, and and is it, and, and what do you find, um, you know, it starts to open minds? Is it is it stories? Is it facts and figures? Is it, you know, your description of, of, of entering a prison and teaching the kinds of courses you do? How, you know? I think th- stories. Mm-hmm. I find my book is full of stories because I think we we human beings are story oriented people, right? And I think stories stick with us, whereas the statistics don't. I mean, you need the statistics too because you need the social science evidence. But in the end of the day, the stories of people who have turned their lives around and really benefited hugely from college and prison, and people who have really discovered that they have great academic talent while they're in prison, is much more compelling, I believe, than statistics. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, you know, it's, it's interesting. In our last conversation, we were talking with, uh, in, in, in the previous segment, we were talking with Katarina Schwab and Lindsay Beck of NPX, who are, you know, have been doing a lot of work on impact securities. Mm-hmm. Social impact bonds have uh, a, a variation. You know, this is kind of right. the, the next stage for a social impact bond. There, there are the social impact bond programs that are, have focused on recidivism. You know, one, one hopes that we will see more scaling of these solutions. Uh, you know, as you talk about this, it seems like ripe for uh, that kind of intervention, though we know that the the, um, the social impact bond was not successful in in, in New York City in the sense of um, reducing recidivism to the rate that that uh, would have triggered the re- the return for investors. Uh, you know, have you looked at other kinds of programs to combat recidivism and have you, and, and thought about where education fits in in that array? I really haven't. I've been too busy teaching and, <laughs> and writing a lot books of time and looking at yep. a lot of other kinds of problems. Yeah, yeah, we can. But in- there's no question the, the, that the matter of funding and different ways to fund these programs um, is crucial. But I think as important as finding new streams of funding, because you can't support it forever on private philanthropy, which is what we've done so far. Mm-hmm. Um, as important as the philanthropy, is making sure that college programs are surrounded by the kinds of supports they need. You can't expect that if somebody takes a few college classes, that in itself is going to reduce recidivism. Right. I mean, one of the things that's very important in the Bard Prison Initiative is we form a community among the students. They help each other while they're in college, while they're in prison, and they help each other when they go home. The people who find jobs for other people are the people who got out a month earlier. So, you know, you need to think about all aspects of the problem. It's a complicated problem, and it's, there aren't simple solutions. Yeah, absolutely. And, right, I mean, we certainly... But it, it's ripe for 
people who are creative and thinking about how to finance good programs because the, the, the costs, I mean, if somebody did not just the direct costs of mass incarceration, but the social costs it's, over generations. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, families of people who have been to prison are less well-off than people who have not been to prison. Yeah, I've, I mean, the statistics, you know, you could multiply them ad nauseum. Yeah. And we can't afford this. Right. It's it's just we can't afford it. It's an unsustainable system for sure. Yeah. And, you know, and as your experience, as your experience, uh, you know, at tests, I mean, we're, 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 you know, it's not only all the costs of incarceration, we're squandering uh, extraordinary talent that. Oh, I consider that a cost. Yeah. I consider the squandering of a human resource much more important than the financial resources. Right. I mean, which is not to say the financial resources aren't important. But, you know, it's, it's, we have over 2 million people in prison. We can't afford to throw people away. They're not dispensable. Right. Particularly because so many of these people are extremely talented and extremely motivated if given any chance of, of moving ahead. So, Ellen, we, we, uh, we're, we're drawing to a close here. A final question for you, uh, Ellen Lagman author of Liberating Minds, The Case for College and Prison. We've, we've talked about a, a lot about your work and what, uh, what you've learned about uh, educating uh, prisoners and the effects on recidivism, the kinds of students you have. How has this affected you personally? You, you sort of suggested this was quite a transition in your career. Uh, yeah, I ta- uh, you know, in, in our concluding minute, what's it done to you? Well, I knew ver- I, I'm a historian. I mean, I'm a card-carrying academic. Um, and I actually taught courses in social policy and didn't say much about incarceration. This has opened my eyes to a segment of our society that I think too few of us know much about. Prisons are, on purpose, closed institutions, and most of us don't get to go in them and see what's going on in there and meet the people who are in them. So we have all these stereotypes about who is a prisoner, and criminals and and so on, and we don't know the realities, and that's terrible. And having learned the realities has changed the way I look at pretty much everything. Mm. Interesting. Well, thank you so much for for being with us. Ellen Lagerman, former dean of the Harvard Graduate School of Education, now a research professor at Bard College and a fellow with the Bard Prison Initiative and the author of Liberating Minds, The Case for College and Prisons, Great to have you with us. We're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back with Dollars and Change and speaking with Ali Svensson, co-founder and VP of brand for uh, Mod Pizza. I know that Mod Pizza has has done some interesting work, and they are they try to have a pretty open door to hiring. Let Let's not look uh, back at your record. Let's look forward. So we'll we'll uh, be asking them about that as well. So we'll be back in a moment. This is Dollars and Change. For more insight from Business Radio please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.